Can you hear all that? Yeah, this is a place that you're likely to hear lots of health speak. I've walked into a cancer service, and walking in for the first time can be pretty full on. You're about to hear from Jen, who told me that often the first thing that hits people when they walk through the door is just how many other people are going through cancer treatment, and that they too are now one of those people. Jen is a cancer care coordinator. She works with people through so much stuff. Emotional, financial, medical, logistical. And then there's just, well, this stuff. Some of the terminology, the big words that are used, I mean, the names of the chemotherapy agents or the immunotherapy agents are ridiculous. It's just like someone threw the alphabet in the air and they just, you know, made a word up from where it landed. So Jen will help you untangle some of the health speak. But it's certainly not the only thing she'll help you with. I hate to use the word navigate because it's so much more than that, but part of the role is definitely to help people navigate the healthcare system. We can't unfortunately take the cancer diagnosis back, but the aim of the role is to help people live well with their cancer to the best that they can and into survivorship. So just to improve the experience, decrease anxieties, and not having to retell their story over and over again. Usually once you've met a cancer care coordinator, wherever you are along your pathway, they'll know you then and then they'll know what's happened previously. So if you call them or contact them, you're not having to do the retelling of your story. What are some of the common questions people first throw at you? And I guess I'm looking for perhaps the questions that people feel a bit nervous about asking. It's just the scary questions really, isn't it? It's what am I going to look like? What am I going to feel like and am I going to survive? Do you have answers for those questions? Not all the time, no. Um, I think it's pretty easy to listen to other people's stories that have had a previous experience of cancer and think that that is going to be your story as well. But what we do know is everyone's cancer diagnosis is their own story and how they respond to treatment is not necessarily going to be the same what do you do day to day, practically? Are you sitting with people talking? Are you on the phone organising appointments and coordinating things? Are you filling in paperwork? Are you taking people on tours? What do you actually do? Well, all of the above, really. So there's certain aspects of the role that we have to do. There's meetings that have to run where patients are discussed and there's all the boring, dry stuff. But clearly, you know, I see myself as a patient advocate. I need to be able to go into battle if I need to, which you don't really have to to do that often. So if the phone rings and someone says, I've got Mr Brown on the phone, he wants to speak to you, then it's just a matter of what Mr Brown needs then and there. So it might be transport. It might be, I always say to patients, if something's worrying you and it just doesn't go away, it doesn't feel big enough to make an appointment with the doctor, if it's just hanging around, it's big enough to ask me. So just pick up the phone and ask. And quite often it's something that I can answer over the phone or if I don't know, I'm the direct line to the consultants or to the doctors to find the answer. And just having some of those background questions answered can make a big difference. What kind of questions? You said transport. What else? Well, it can be post-procedures and things. Should my wee be this colour? You know, it was yellow yesterday and today it's gone pink. Why is it happening? You know, those sort of things, which to me are like, oh, yeah, absolutely expected. It's not worrying me at all. And if it's not worrying me, then it stops worrying them. They're like, well, Jen doesn't think it's a worry. Then it's not a worry and they can sort of move forward. So it can be, I thought my surgery would have happened by now. 
if I've fallen off the list? You know, we want things to happen quickly, don't we? Can you imagine being told you have cancer and then, like, we'll operate in four weeks? So there's also reassurance that, no, your cancer's not going to grow in that time. This is the type of cancer you had. If we felt that it was going to impact, we'd operate earlier. Um, so, no, you haven't fallen off the list. I can see your name on the surgery list. It looks like it'll be around this date, but ring me back. You know, we've come to learn timelines in people's experience where you think they'll be worried about that now or, you know, prostate cancer patients, for example, about six weeks post-surgery. They're so excited to get over their surgery as you would be. You only have surgery for prostate cancer if it's with curative intent. So most of the time you're hoping for a cure. It's a big operation. You get over that. So for the first couple of weeks you're in recovery mode, you're over that big hurdle. And then at about the six-week mark, they're like blue and it's, you know, I kind of know they're going to feel that way. And I'm, you know, you ring me if you need anything, ring me. They don't ring. And so I sort of like, oh, I might just drop in a phone call. And it's just that, mm, I thought you might be feeling a bit flat. And then having someone to talk about, because there's no tangible reason sometimes. It's just having someone go, oh, no, that's okay. What do you think we can put in place to help with it, though? And it's just gentle reminders of things like, why don't you go for a walk? It's getting back into, what did you used to do to make you feel good? Well, I used to ride my bike 40 k's a day. Why don't you go and ride your bike? Or, you know, we make sure people have had their medical follow-ups and they're safe to do so. But it's just giving people confidence to go back into life, to, you know, strive forward a bit without thinking that they're going to damage themselves or put themselves back in or put themselves at risk in any way. So there's a lot of those questions post-treatment as well. Why do you love your job? Oh, and I do love my job, I just have to tell you. Uh, because people are just great. And the resilience and the openness and the kindness and the staff I work with, it's just a really nice space to be in. And there's so much gratitude. I think after a cancer diagnosis, a lot of other stuff just falls away. And so all the good things come back. So waking up in the morning and seeing a blue sky... And just going, God, that's a cracker of a day today. You know, you can think you're having a bad day and you come to work here and you're just not. And you kind of think, who was I this morning huffing and puffing around the house thinking I'm having a bad day? And I think people who come to the clinic get that off each other as well. That must be interesting because you said it's such a nice place to be in. But from the outside, you'd think that working in a cancer service is not a nice place to be in. No, it's a wonderful place to be in. People are good and people are funny. Mm-hmm. You know, it just brings out the staff are funny. You know, it just brings out the good in people and people wanting to help others. And, you know, I don't know if you've ever been in the chemo unit and seen how much food is brought in down there. Like, you know, people are just grateful for the staff that are there and what they do. And, yes, it is. Um, it's, it's a good place to be. Have you got an example of some of the funniness that can happen? Um, most of it's inappropriate. <laughs> yeah, uh, no, you'd think it'd be quite a morbid and sort of intense environment, but it's actually just not. Obviously, your anxiety coming in day one is through the roof and quite often the staff where appropriate will break through that with some humour. And, you know, you've got patients that have been coming in for years and years that could be in the chair next to you and they're used to all of this banter. So hang on a minute. <laughs> Isn't this meant to be life or death here? But, it, you know, it's not. I had one of my um, 
regular patients who's a bit cheeky come to the chemo unit for chemo the other day and he told me what time he was going to be there and it was 15 minutes after he was going to be there and I still wasn't there. And so one of the staff rang and said, he's down here. And I said, yes, yes, I know I'm coming. He was going to be there for about four hours. So I was in no hurry. I was doing some other things. When I turned up, he had a form in his hand and he said to one of the chemo nurses, Fiona, I won't need this anymore. She's finally here. And they'd given him, as a joke, the compliments and complaints form (laughs) so he could put in a complaint because his care coordinator wasn't there on time. (laughs) So, no, once they sort of settle in, it's just, yeah, people make the best of a maybe at times not so bad situation. And when you have your treatment, well, your chemotherapy, immunotherapy, you know, it's boring. It's waiting for a drip to go through a lot of the time. So the effects from it aren't on that day the majority of the time. The main effects are sort of 10 days, two weeks' time. So actually sitting in the clinic in a chair can be really boring. So what do you do in there to stop it being boring? Well, you do a lot of people watching, I should imagine, and the staff, and that's where a lot of the banter comes in. There's iPads you can use, there's magazines. I always laugh, a lot of the chemo treatments, or some of them, you wear ice gloves so that you keep your fingernails so that the chemo doesn't go down to your end of your fingertips because it can wreck your fingernails. So they put ice gloves on, and you walk past these patients in these big ice gloves with a magazine on their lap, but they can't <laughs> actually turn the pages properly because they haven't got use of their hands. But Well, and they can't use an iPad. No, not really either. <laughs> so, yeah, I think, you know, 90% of the problem when you come in to have your chemo is just being a bit bored. How much do you learn from your patients? Because while they come to learn from you, I'd imagine it's a back and forth thing. Oh, it absolutely is. In all sorts of things. Because don't forget, these are people with their own stories. And it's not just a cancer story. These are people that have lived, you know, full and great lives. So I can do things like I'm renovating my house and someone will know exactly what I'm doing and meant to do. So there's all those personal experience patients will share with you to help you with that. But there's also... You watch some people respond in situations and you just sit back and think, God, that is amazing. What about some of the other questions about the broader impact on people's lives outside of what the actual treatment's doing to them? What we have is a bit more time as care coordinators than a lot of the other health professionals do. And I think we know from experience from talking to other patients some of the things that might be a bit broader than just your actual cancer diagnosis and the impact that has on you. So patients come to us with questions and then we try and create a really open environment and ask some questions back just to check in and to normalise that you're not the only one thinking like this. We know cancer is expensive. It's expensive for lots of reasons and that has a huge impact. People quite often wait a long time before they say they're in financial difficulties so it is a question I'll put out there. So you can see the relief come across their face when, when you ask questions which can be deemed as personal, personal, I think. And also a lot of people think, well, maybe there's nothing that can be done about that. Maybe that's just how it is now. But quite often it's not. And to have someone ask that and not make yourself feel like they're going to think there's something wrong with me if I've got a cancer diagnosis and I'm asking why things aren't going well in the bedroom, then I think if it comes from a health professional to you, it's an okay question and it takes that away. I did ask uh, an older farmer once who had his wife sitting next to him how things were going. And he asked me if my parents knew what I did for a job. 
<laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> Did you get any further in that conversation? No, his wife and I laughed quite a lot. <laughs> so that conversation was shut down. But no, I think that, that comes with all the normalising of things. Cancer impacts a lot of your life. It can, you know, just what we see on the surface and the practicality of it, it, it seeps into a lot of other areas. And we know that's impactful. You, you know, after, you don't want to be a cancer patient. You want to be you. And you've got to look after all those components that make you you. And we just try and allow a space for that to be discussed in. And obviously, we refer on to other people. So we're not the most skilled people in all areas. So we're just trying to open up the conversation so that we can say, well, you know, I can see that's troubling you a bit. How about we go and talk to someone about it? Or you might not know how to get back into exercise or what's right for you. Did you know that we can get you an exercise physiologist if you go back to your GP? It's People don't know what they don't know. They don't know what to expect. So it's just making sure that there is a space for all those other concerns that will help you get back to being you. That's Jen. She's a cancer care coordinator helping you still be you while you're going through all the stuff that you encounter with cancer treatment. And one thing that we didn't get to that Jen wanted to point out is just how important it is that there is also support for the people who are caring for others while they're going through cancer treatment. Now, we heard Jen talk about how boring it can be while you're sitting in that chair going through your treatment. Maybe this podcast could keep them entertained. We'd love it if you could grab their phone, subscribe them, or just send them a link. Anything you can do to help us get this information to the people who need it is really appreciated. This project was funded by the Healthy Tasmania Community Innovation Grants through the Tasmanian Government. 